This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello? Honey, <laughs> I'm at the mall now and I found this beautiful leather coat. It's only a thousand. Can I get it? Well, sure, if you like it that much. Okay, um, I also stopped by the Mercedes dealership and saw the new model. You know, the one I really like. How liked. much? 120. Well, at that price, I want it with all the options. Great! Oh! And, and one more thing, the house we wanted last year is back on the market. They're, they're asking 1.5. We'll make them an offer. But come in at uh, 1.4. <laughs> okay. I love you, baby. I love you, too. Okay, bye. Um, does anybody know whose phone this is? From Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and happy last day of Women's History Month. After today, Joe's mom says we can go back to kidding ourselves that Anonymous is a bunch of men. On this wonderful Wednesday, to relax and just soak in the magic of March, going out like a lamb, we welcome the author of Do Nothing, Celeste Headley. In headlines, yet another company is sued for excessive fees in their retirement plan. Then I'll throw out the Haven lifeline to Colton, who has a question about selling his house in this hot market. And of course, I'll hit you with my woman power trivia. And now, two guys who are always making the ladies look good by comparison, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. That's the name of it, isn't it? If mom looks good, everybody looks good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Wednesday. You are halfway through your week, and let me be the first to welcome you. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me in real life, IRL, now that I'm back from Virginia and North Carolina, it's Mr. OG. How are you, my friend? Uh, I'm okay. okay. Just okay? You're halfway done. It's all downhill. Halfway done with the what? With the week. With the with the week that was. Time is just a construct. Oh, Mr. I, I don't. I Speak don't, to uh, me, guru. OG semi-works every day of the week. Exactly. Seven days a week. Joe, we got to get you to go back on the road because amazingly, your internet's actually better in a Best Western in Virginia than it is here. I think it's when you're uh, at home. I think it's Doug's internet. I think it is Doug's internet. Yeah, I'm on fiber optic, dude. It's not me. I've got the best internet of all of you. It is. It is. It is fast. It's fast acting. Technical term is super fast. Well, the opposite of fast is super slow. And a book title that I've loved for a long time, and it's about time we got her here to talk about it is the book Do Nothing. I'm a fan. And I love that idea, especially when I'm in the middle of trying to bite off a 40-city book tour. The idea of doing nothing tends to resonate with me right now, OG. So we've got Celeste Headley waiting upstairs talking to mom. But first, we got another lawsuit in the news. We're going to talk about fees in your retirement plans and maybe help you lower some fees. But before even that, 
This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, let's have some fun talking about money. Let's go. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. In our headline today, this comes to us from Napa-Net, that's the National Association of Plan Advisors. Neville Adams write that a federal judge found that a participant plaintiff in a $4 billion plan's excessive fee suit failed to make their case, but gave them an opportunity to fix it. The suit was filed less than a year ago against the fiduciaries of the Kimberly Clark Corporation 401k and profit sharing plan by... Two participants who alleged a variety of fiduciary sins, but primarily, OG, primarily for paying higher fees. The fee per year, per participant, guess what the fee is that they were suing over? Oh, you're, uh, I feel like you're, this is a loaded question. It is uh, $8.50. No, it was actually almost uh, nine times that, uh, $78 a year per participant. Uh, versus what they claim are comparable plans, about $30 per participant. And then Neville Adams writes- How many participants are there? Well, it's Kimberly Clark, so there's going to be a ton. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought- Yeah, at least based on their size. Uh, at the time at the time that this first came out, uh, Adams had commented that the suit was short in length, 36 pages in substance or specific allegations, and relatively long on assumptions and presumptions. The judge ruled that the defendant didn't act unlawfully. They hadn't they hadn't said that they had charged them more in fees because they were money gouging. They just happened to charge $78 per participant. It it, it wasn't something against the That was their deal. Fiduciary you signed standard. up for it. Yeah. You know, when I think about this and certainly we want to be mindful of fees, but I think we kick it off here OG. I don't know, the past decade, we've said this over and over while fees and paying attention to your fees are super important. I've never, never heard somebody say it was that $78 a year that killed my retirement chances. Yeah. Again, it's a lot of these are brought by, you know, attorneys whose job it is, is to go to litigation, right? I mean, they, that's, that's their role is to proceed with these types of court cases you know, if you get enough people together in one spot yelling about their $78 fee, then, then it becomes a profitable venture for, for somebody to take on. And I don't, I don't mean that to be in a bad way. I don't know that it's right or wrong that it's $78 is the right number or it's the wrong number. It's just, you know, it apparently was okay for a really long time until it wasn't, (laughs) you know, like why, why all of a sudden did it become an issue? It's probably because enough people yelled about it. it. Well, and it sounds, by the way, that the law firm was a little lazy in this because what they were really pushing for, the piece goes on, was that they were hoping for a discovery process where they could go more. So basically the law firm, it appears, just said, hey, let's just bring the suit 
and the judge will open up the thing. And hopefully when we see the can of worms, we'll find even more, Mm. which I don't know much about that, but let's talk about this. And this is the part that kills me. We see lawsuits like this one against $78 and you're going to have out of the, what, tens of thousands of people probably work at Kimberly Clark. You're going to have people, a number, I would think there'd be more than a hundred that'll go, Oh, I don't think I'm going to invest in this thing. And you and I know that the key to this whole thing is automation and the best place to automate is through work. And somebody's going to read this OG and they're going to let $78 get between them and their goal because they're not going to want to pay $78 because they think it's excessive and they won't save $5,000 to save 78 bucks. Yeah. You know, if you look at any sort of uh, financially successful people over long periods of time, they have kind of a couple of things in common is that they did the really easy, boring stuff for a very long time and didn't let the life, didn't let lifestyle, I guess, kind of get in the way along the way and you know, buy the too big a house or too many cars or whatever. But I think you have to be comfortable with the super boring stuff for a long period of time. I was talking to somebody a couple of uh, weeks ago. I said, if all you did was get to the point where you were maxing out your 401k based on your age and the goals that you have right now, you'd have so much money, it'd be insane. That's it. <laughs> like it's not, it's not like this ridiculously complex retirement uh, uh, strategy that you got to come up with. You just got to figure out a way to get to the point over the next five to 10 years where you're maxing out your workplace plan. And God forbid you did that and then had your spouse do it too. And then, you know, God forbid you did that and Roth and an HSA. I mean, there's all of the tools that you need are right in front of you. And I think choosing not to use them because, you know, whether it's a participant fee, whether it's, oh, you know, the fund costs inside of my plan suck or something like that, it's still, you're still getting a match. You know, I'd pay, how much money would you pay me if I was going to give you a dollar? You'd pay me 99 cents. Like you'd be like, I'll, I'll just, how many times can we do this? The fees on your freaking 401k could be 99 freaking percent. That's the key. If you got a match. That's the key to these. You'd still yeah. make money on this deal. That's the key OG to these high frequency traders, right? These high frequency traders making a quarter of a penny on a bajillion trades because they just, yeah, yeah just keep skimming. Well, and, and I get that it's not ideal, right? You, sure. you don't want the mutual fund that's at 2%. You don't yes. want the participant fee that's 80 bucks a year, but in exchange for what? In exchange for the fact that you get a free $5,000 or you get a, you know, you put in, you put in 10, your company gives you five. And again, in all reality, if you're going to get a free 5,000 bucks, you'd pay me 4,999 bucks for that. That would, I mean, that would be profitable for you. That's how the casino works, right? The casino's like, we're going to take just a teeny tiny bit. Just on every a sliver dollar. and just keep doing it. You know, when, Peter Lazaroff was on our show last fall. Loser. <laughs> Just a brilliant guy, isn't he? And he talked about this idea of a piece of paper. Did you say last fall? Wasn't it last fall? I think it was like probably about four weeks ago. It was longer than four weeks ago. I do know that. It might have been in January, but it's all starting to run together. Okay. Not an important argument to win. <laughs> Let's move on. So no, I'm I'm putting my foot down. This is the hill I will die on, to use OG's phrase. This is two old guys going, no, it was back in 64. <laughs> we're, not, we're not quite that old. I remember it because <laughs> I dated Gladys. <laughs> we Back to Lazaroff. Peter Lazaroff, fine Peter Lazaroff, talked about a piece of paper and about the doubling. You know, you double the this piece of paper that's- He stole that from me. Super tiny. And then- it's double thickness, but still is tiny. And then you double it again and again and again. And if you can double that just 80 times, just 80 times, it goes to the sun, which is incredible. Double it 50 times and it goes to the moon. That is amazing. So the key is this doubling, which you, you take that idea and you combine it with an idea that uh, I heard Morgan Housel talking about with Tim Ferriss recently. Morgan Housel said, you know, that the vast, vast, vast majority of Warren Buffett's net worth happened OG after he was 65 and that people, there have been tons and tons of books written about Buffett's investing prowess, which is great. But he also said that Buffett also is a great messenger of these facts because he's such a good writer and he's such a good speaker that he takes these ideas and he makes them 
he makes them much more palatable for the average person. So that plays into it. And he says pre 65, had he retired like the average person around 65, he would have still been a great investor, but in a much bigger pool of investors. And Housel said the key that nobody talks about is the fact that he's in his eighties and the doubling now is these big, big, big numbers where most people are tapping the funds. He's still letting the thing grow and people are paying a lot in his words. He thought people pay a little bit too much attention to his investing prowess and not enough attention to the boring piece, which is this compound. You can be a very average investor and just let it double more often and you will find a way to make tons of money. Well, I'll give you a great example of this. And, and just to circle back, uh, to put a pin in this, uh, February 9th is the date that you're looking for, um, which is roughly <laughs> Dougie still had to win. He still ago, had to win. Four-ish weeks ago. Certainly have a lot closer than it's last so fall. It's so unlike him. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, That's out of character, OG. Yeah. I was talking about fall in the Southern Hemisphere, just to be clear. Just to be oh, clear. <laughs> yes. Okay. Fall in Argentina. That was summer. I'm certain of it. Anywho, the example that I have for that is a lesson that I was able to teach my kids a couple of weeks ago. We recently sold an investment property, got some money from it, and my middle son, who has no filter whatsoever or even shame yet, which is great, he's like, Dad, I think you should give us some of that money. And I laughed and I was like, that's hilarious because, of course, I would never do that. And I thought about it for for a minute and I thought, this might be a really good opportunity to to teach them a little something. So the next day I said to William, I said, okay, fine. I'm thinking of a number that I will put in your investment account. If you think of a number and my number is less than yours, you get it. If you kind of overshoot the landing, you're not getting anything. So what's your number? And in reality, I had no number in mind. I was going to do whatever he said. And he said, uh, five. And I said, five what? And he looks at me really carefully and he goes, (laughs) Five thousand, <laughs> and I said, uh, "Well, that's too bad. I was going to give you fifty each, but five will do, right?" Whatever he said, I was going to put in his investment account, obviously for college tuition. I was going to do it anyway. But then I used it as an example. I said, "But here's the thing: you guys can't touch the money till you're sixty. You have to promise me that you're not going to touch it till you're sixty. And the good news is that your oldest brother, Alex, he gets to get his money sooner. You know, he only has forty five years to wait." and um, his 5000 bucks can turn into like 550 grand. I mean, what a great what a great thing. But William, because you have to wait 2 years longer, there's a premium for that. You get a little extra by waiting 2 years longer. You get 750,000 by waiting 2 more years. And you know, your sister who is only 6 has to wait like 54 years before she gets access to her money, but she gets a little extra. She gets 1.4 million. And all of the kids were like, wait, what? No, that's not fair. Uh, how come she gets more? And I said, she's not getting more. She gets the same. You guys have the same amount. I'm, I'm, I'm literally putting the same. I'll show you the receipt. I'm putting the same amount of money in. And it's that last, it's those boring compounds that happen where you just don't feel it. You know, you just don't feel putting 5,000 bucks into your 401k this year and then it grows by a whopping 10% and you made $500. You're like, whoa, that doesn't do anything for me. But it's the $500 and the in the 5,000 for next year that happens over and over and over again. And to your point, you know, the longer that you can wait before you use that money or the earlier that you can start where, you know, you just get that activity happening sooner, the more likely you are to be successful in the long run. And none of that has to do with whether or not you get charged 78 bucks from your 401k provider. Well, and all things being equal, we do want to pay a little less. So let's pivot to that. Let's say that we do have two opportunities and one is uh, less expensive, but equally as good. Our friends at uh, Money Crashers did a great piece about how to calculate your 401k fees in a short time. And it seems sometimes, OG, the 401k fees are hard to find. There is a booklet that you get that most people put in the trash and it's buried in that book, but they point to a place called uh, Brightscope where you look at your fees. And I know you've used that before to dive into fee, into how much people pay. Yeah. I mean, it's an aggregator. So Brightscope will take the information from the filings, the 5,500 filings that you have to do every year and um, try to calculate what that looks like. It might get you in the 
in the ballpark, or it might be grossly incorrect. Oh. There's, um, to my knowledge, very little audit that happens with that. It's just a algorithm that pulls that data down, and okay. you know they sell ads on Brightscope.com to you know whatever. But but it could be a good starting point. You know, you can look in the summary plan description, which is what you get or have access to. Some things are just not disclosable. You're just not going to know the answers to how much how much is the company paying on your behalf, how much are the fees increased within the plan or within the product to offset the the cost structure of the plan. A popular option with 401ks is to say, well, you know, we're going to bill uh, 25 basis points to manage this plan. Fidelity says, we're going to charge you 25 basis points. You have $100 million in the plan. How would you like to pay your $250,000 fee? And the employer, of course, goes, well, I don't want to write that check. Yeah. <laughs> is there another way? And they go, sure. All those funds that you have in there, we'll just increase them all. You know, you can buy them, buy them on the shelf for 0.2%, but instead here, you buy them for 0.25%. And then that's how we get our our fee. So that's very hard to unravel. But again, this can come up in conversation with HR. There is a trend to lower these. So if you have an opportunity to get a proposal or you know do an RFP for a new 401k plan, if you're a big organization, it's going to be a lot more difficult to kind of move that needle. But if you're at a small organization, the problem is, is that there's no incentive for the salespeople to change it. You, know, you think you start out with a 401k plan brand new, right? There's some costs, right? I think everybody uh, everybody understands that there's record keeping costs. There's forms you have to file with the IRS. There's accounting fees, you know, that sort of thing. And that's a that's a fixed dollar amount initially. So to offset that, a lot of times what, what 401k providers will do will say, well, we'll just charge you this fee because you don't have any money in the plan or it's a really low value plan. We can't make it up in, you know, in volume basically. So we're going to charge you this. Well, what's the incentive when your plan grows, if you're the sales guy, to go back and go, hey, I think we should lower your fees and I should get a lower commission next year. Hey, let's cut my income. Yeah, there just isn't any. And I'll tell you, I've had a number of clients where we've looked at their retirement plan and said, hey, these numbers are are you know pretty high relative to the value of your plan. When was the last time you asked them to right-size this? And then if it needs to be, or if it's not competitive... And you go back to the sales provider, the you know the four hundred one k provider, the sales the salesperson, and say, hey, you know we're shopping. Oh, magically you're going to get a little bit lower cost structure in there. So two terms you use that I want to make sure people are on board with. The first one was basis points, and if you're new to this game, a hundred basis points is one percent. So twenty five basis Sorry. points. That's all right. Is uh, is a quarter of a percent. So somebody says one basis point is one one hundredth. So I had to get used to that one. When, when I was in the business, I remember thinking, what the hell's a basis point? Like, what is that? And then the second thing you said that I don't even know, what's an RFP? You said have an RFP. I have no idea what an RFP is. Oh, a request for proposal. Ah. You know, usually usually organizations, when they're trying to bid something out, they'll send out, send us an RFP for, you know, this project. We're building a factory or, in this case, redoing Do they say, send me an RFP PDQ? I don't know what PDQ means pretty darn quick. They usually oh. do say PDQ. They have this unreasonable short time frame typically on on the RFP. And that's because the person who helped them write the RFP, i.e. the company they really want to go with, has helped them write it. And so they make the response time be very short to create their advantage. So there's no competition or very little competition. Ah, there is. There is competition. And I'm being a little bit jaded, but I have a fair bit of experience creating and issuing RFPs and kind of know how the game works. Fair so bit of I'm, experience I'm off creating topic. and issuing RFPs. Isn't exactly. It? Yeah. I have a fair bit of experience in this. Well, fact. I do. Wherefore thou unto pertaining. I want to talk about one more thing before we put this to rest, which is another mistake I see people make, OG, is when they take an apple and an orange. As an example, they'll take an international fund, which has all kinds of extra costs involved, and they'll compare that expense ratio to like the S&P 500 fund, which is all U.S., as you go international, as you go smaller in investments, as you go into just sectors, the more the company has to do, the higher the fee is going to be. So don't make the mistake of taking two funds that are doing two different things and comparing the fees and just going with the cheaper one. This is where I think, oh, gee, the Morningstar style box comes in to play, Morningstar.com. And the Morningstar style box ain't perfect, but certainly 
they have a little box that looks like a Rubik's cube. And at the very least, you can try to make sure that both of these funds are in the same part of the style box to begin to look at whether you're looking at two things that are similar. Correct. Ta-da! Joe got one too, Doug. <laughs> I got one too. Yay! Coming up next is Celeste Headley. I can't wait to talk to Celeste because... Because I've been listening to Celeste work for a long time. She's the co-host of the new weekly series Retro Report on PBS. Also, she has season three of the Seen on Radio podcast. Uh, her TEDx talk, sharing 10 ways to have a better conversation, has over 30 million total views. But of course, none of that matches the fact that she gets to come down to the basement and talk to us. I'm sure that's going to be number one on her bio from here on out. Celeste Headley coming up, but first to get there, uh, Doug, you've got a trivia question. Everybody ready to stretch out for trivia? Here we go. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You might have read about what delayed the start of Major League Baseball this season, and I can't stop thinking that if more women were involved, maybe they would have been able to come to an agreement more quickly. Believe it or not, women have a long history of impacting professional baseball. In fact, the first female professional baseball player was Vern Jackie Mitchell. She was a pitcher, and during an exhibition game, she struck out one of baseball's most famous players. Perhaps that's why baseball commissioner Kennesaw Mountain Landis banned women from the sport later that year. So my question is, which famous baseball player did she strike out? I'll be back with the answer after I run the diamond we set up in the corners of the basement. No, Joe, leave the rat turd there. That was third base, man. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, Stacker, you're midway through your week. Things are going great. You're knocking down everything on that to-do list, but... The thing you don't want to forget about is your long-term goals. And while you're going about your day, it's time to start automating everything in your financial life. The key to winning is automation and Navy Federal Credit Union takes the legwork out of saving and investing. They offer multiple savings products and investing options to help you get closer to your financial goals. And you can put your money to work by automating your savings and investments. Plus, they offer educational resources to help guide your decisions. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash save and invest. That's NavyFederal.org slash save and invest. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment options are available through Navy Federal Investment Services and are not insured by NCUA. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets track progress toward financial goals and collaborate with your partner. And now because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30 day free trial. When you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad free privacy. You can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey there, stackers. I'm Sandlot Slugger and Wiffleball Champ. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. The 17-year-old Jackie Mitchell pitched against the New York Yankees on April 2nd, 1931, in front of a crowd of 4,000. The New York Times reported it, and though there's some skepticism about whether it was a stunt or not, a newsreel supposedly exists that shows the player in question getting pretty peeved about this strikeout. So, which 
famous player did the female pitcher strike out? None other than Babe Ruth. And just like the babe who had to walk back to the bench and do nothing, let's talk to Celeste Headley about doing nothing. And coming down the stairs to the basement, it's my new friend Celeste Headley is here. How are you? Hello, I'm good. I have taken to recently saying I'm pandemic okay, thanks. I so I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> well, that is that is good. And I'm glad that we're able to sit suitably far apart here and have a great discussion about doing nothing. But I also think, you know, after a career doing so many different things with NPR, the phrase coming down to the basement must be the highlight, Celeste, I would think of all the work you've done. <laughs> Well, look, I was a correspondent for quite some time, so I have recorded broadcasts and and reported live from some very odd places. Uh, your car is actually a surprisingly good audio studio, so I don't mind being in the basement. <laughs> I never thought about that, but that enclosed space, right? With the, mm-hmm. the, the closeness that it's you have. It's pretty well insulated. You're surrounded by the cloth or leather seats. Yeah, it's good. It's so funny how you start evaluating the world by the audio goodness. Like, is this a great place to record? But that's, that's, the, yeah, absolutely. I think the bane of your and my existence, but I want to ask you about this because we're, we're going to talk about a topic that you were talking about two years ago. I'm wondering what's changed over the last two years. Cause two years ago, Celeste, you wrote were lonely, sick and suicidal. And I think about that. And I think about the fact that you wrote this really at the beginning of the pandemic. And I feel like it we're, we're more so today. Yeah. And in fact, I wrote it a couple years before the pandemic, right? Because that's how long it takes a that's book right. to get. Um, you know, when the pandemic began, I started, you know, getting all these interview questions where they were like, are you psychic? No, it's just that we were already on this pattern. And so I knew that when the, I suspected that when the pandemic fell, we would make the wrong choices for our own well-being. And we did. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think we're worse off than we were before. But I feel, I, you know, we, we all feel that. I get the sense that most people realize that they're isolated and stressed and anxious and overwhelmed. So whereas I might have had trouble selling this message in 2019, I feel like in 2022, everyone kind of gets it. I know. I was just telling you before we hit record, I'm like, uh, uh, we have to talk about this now because I totally get this message now. But let's be clear. You also write something that I found very interesting is that we blame social media. We blame the fact that we're on our devices all the time. And yet you open your book with a quote from the 1930s. Which in the 1930s, Celeste, we were already on this train. Yeah, that was the surprising thing for me, right? Like when I first started this research to try to figure out how to solve my own problem, I wasn't writing a book at the time. I was trying to solve my own stress and unhappiness and anxiety. I thought I would find out that I needed to take control of my devices. That's what I thought. But then I just kept peeling back the layers of that onion. And I went beyond the 1930s when, you know, of course, we were getting these warnings about working too much and working too long hours and idolizing work. And it kept going back. And I kept thinking to myself, OK, where does this where's the source of this river? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, at some point, there must have been a different attitude that was healthier and that's how that what brought me back to the Industrial Revolution, because that's really where it all began. You can sort of separate human history into we did one thing for most of 300,000 years, and then about two or 300 years ago, we changed all that. Can we talk and about that for a second? Because that was super surprising to me. You talk about a lot of research that you dug into of the fact that we... We didn't work. And don't get me wrong. You also say, I don't want to go back to the Middle Ages. I wouldn't want to be there. I wouldn't want to live in those conditions. But the number of hours we worked and the amount of leisure we had at that point was really different before a gentleman named James Watt, which I'm going to ask you about next. Yeah. Before the Industrial Revolution, humans worked less than half the year. Even peons (laughs) worked less than half a year. And in fact, most serfs, had at least a tiny plot of land, or at least they had access to community land. So they would go and do their work for whatever lord or, you know, whoever kind of oversaw where they lived. And then they would be released to do what they needed to do. You know, someone would hire a a tatter to make them a bit of lace, and they made the bit of lace, 
<laughs> and then they went on with their lives, right? Even going back to the days of the ancient Greeks and the Romans, they worked less than half of the year. Most of their year was festival days and holidays. And, you know, they worked in pulses. They would have extremely busy hours and long days working hard to bring in a harvest. And then what happened? They had like two weeks of a harvest festival, not like an afternoon where you go downtown and there's a harvest festival set on the sidewalk for a couple hours. They took weeks. They didn't celebrate a, a wedding for an afternoon or an evening. They've celebrated for days. So yeah, we changed every James Watt. I'm not blaming James Watt. You know, he was just trying to bake a better machine. This is, a, this is just but, James problem. We can't, we, we can't just blame him because that's what I want right. to do. I just want to blame him and then stop thinking about it. Right. That would be awesome if we could blame this poor, this one Scottish inventor just dunk it all on his head. But it was not his fault. He was just trying to make the steam engine more effective because yeah. he, you know, he noticed it wasn't working well. He's like, I can fix this. You know, how innocent is that? But the repercussions of, of that tweak, it's phenomenal. You write that before that. Well, you quote uh, Juliet Shore, a sociologist. She's also been on this show. I, we love talking to her about the quote sharing economy and how there's not so much sharing going on as we would all hope. But in that chapter, you say, she says, the tempo of life was slow, even leisurely. The pace of work relaxed. Our ancestors may not have been rich, but they had an abundance of leisure. So how did James Watt in the steam engine begin to make that change? The steam engine made factories possible. I mean, that's the long and the short of it. It also made it so much cheaper for that factory to make a bit of lace, for example, than for that one woman to tap, you know, some lace that it put a huge number of small business people out of business. And it turns out a lot of them were women. Women had a lot of their own little businesses, making clothes, sewing sales, and they were put out of business almost immediately. I mean, to talk about the impacts of that steam engine, it's, I don't know what your education was like. I had a very good education, but they never really told me how much changed during the Industrial Revolution. Like I said, it wasn't until the early 20th century, like we're talking maybe 1920s or 30s, when the majority of Americans stopped living in rural areas, when they were in urban environments. For example, most people had their own little plot of land. They lived in a, in spacious areas, but then all of a sudden, they didn't own their own tools anymore because when you went to work in a factory- Supplied the, them for you. Right. They were there and that made the workers disposable. But it also meant like if you look at one of the things I, I ask people to do is to go look at some of those elaborate buildings that were constructed like in the 1600s, 1700s, and imagine the craftsmanship, the individual craftsmanship required that we could not possibly replicate today. It would be enormously expensive because we don't have that craftsman class. They all lost their businesses sure. and they lost them to factories that could make you know, 14 wagon wheels in the space of an hour instead of one per day. You know, it's funny as you're talking, I'm wondering if like uh, I was in a WeWork office recently and they had a, they had a beer tap, they had a pool table. Uh, you hear about these tech companies that have on-site daycare or uh, a free food. I feel like that's the modern day equivalent of what you're talking about. Hey, just stay at work a little longer and we'll make it easier for you. Yeah. And, you know, you can see at places like Google um, how that really has backfired. This idea of turning the workplace into your home where you live has backfired a lot. And, and we see a lot of headlines about toxic workplaces, a lot of employee discontent. And I tell people all the time, your, your job is not your family, right? Like your boss may say something like, we're all family here. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. They're not showing up at the hospital when you need a ride home. They are not the ones that are going to stick with you even when you're awful. No, they'll let you go. Profits start dropping at that, that business place and you are gone. That's not your family. And it is best when you keep that delineation very clear. And let me be clear myself in saying that it is not only better for the employee to keep that delineation clear, it is better for the employer yeah. to make sure there's a clear delineation between work and home. 
Because once that starts getting blurred, it means your employees never get off work, which means they are always in a state of stress and anxiety. They're always on alert. They're essentially on call 24 hours a day, which means you are not getting the most out of your talented team members. Well, which is sad because it feels like as you go through, now we bring work home. You've got a, a chapter where, hey, we're not just going to leave work at work. We're going to have work now at home 24-7. You're on call. It is fairly new. You point out that we trade dollars for hours. And this may be the heart of the problem, Celeste. So can you walk us through that for a second? This whole idea of the genesis of trading dollars for hours? Yeah, because that that for most of human history, that was not the case. For most of human history, we would trade dollars or whatever was valuable for an object, <laughs> right? Like I go back to the very first paycheck where someone got paid in beer. Which, which um, I want to go back to. Let's just go back right? to that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's fair. What happened is, let's say you needed a new bench. And so you you go to the person who makes benches, the, the carpenter or whatever, and you say, I need a bench. How much is it? They tell you. And that's what you're paying for. You're paying that money for that one bench. Now, when you get to a factory, you're not paying for the employer doesn't care about how well that or beautifully that bench is made. Every bench that comes off that factory line is going to look essentially the same. So it's not your craftsmanship and your abilities and your talents that mean something to them. It's how much time they can keep you there and how many benches you can produce per hour. And so it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution that time began to equal money. So much so that we even have record of employers changing the the, the hands on the clock so they could literally steal hours of their employees' time. Since that time, it has become so entrenched in our subconscious that time is equal to money, that it becomes worse for people who make more money. Because the more money that you make, the more expensive it is for you to not be working in your mind, at least, right? Like it gets to the point where if you're a $500 an hour lawyer, you can't afford to sit there and watch Netflix without also checking your email. You're wasting $500 an hour. And we've seen this in the statistics where it used to be that the people who worked the hardest and the longest were people in the lower income brackets. But now it's the people in the upper income brackets that don't have any free time. You have a study that I'd love for you to walk us through. It's two researchers. And unfortunately, I don't have their name, their names here, but they're two researchers and they had people listen to a beautiful piece of music, just a gorgeous piece of music. And they split them into two groups. Do you remember that story? Can you share that with us? Yeah, I think this makes, and it's the, makes the point you're making right now. Yeah. It's the flower duet from Lachme. It is lovely. It's only a few minutes long. It's very short. And it's luscious music. Um, now, every time you go and do a study, before you do the study, they'll give you a sheet to fill out for you with your basic information, usually your demographic information, but they'll have other you know, questions on there. In half of the questionnaires, they included a question asking about what do you generally get paid per hour? The other people did not have that question in the questionnaire. Now, the people who were asked, who were prompted to think about their hourly wage, felt that the music went on too long and they got impatient for it to end. And the people who were not prompted to think about that just sat there and enjoyed this piece of music, which again is only a few minutes long. We don't often keep in mind how easy it is to manipulate our subconscious, what's going on inside our head and what an incredible impact that has on our well-being. You know, when you think you're pressed for time, even if it's not true, when you believe you are pressed for time, You become less compassionate, you become less cooperative, you become less empathetic, you become a jerk. And now we live in this society in which we always think we're pressed for time. (laughs) So it's not a big correlation that we're all becoming jerks. Like we just see it. I see it all around me every day lately. We're more and more frustrated. You saw this yourself. You're looking for this external motivation. You talked about turning off your devices and you found that as you freed up time, that you filled it with other things that, and I might be putting words into your mouth, Celeste, but, but it seemed to me were like higher dollar per hour tasks. 
you were getting rid of lower dollar per hour tasks and filling it with more dollar per hour tasks, but they were still tasks. There was still efficiency. You call it, I think in the book, the cult of efficiency. Yeah, because it is a cult in terms of our just blind belief in hard work as a virtue in any situation. But yeah, I I was so overwhelmed and so tired. And I so I quit my job that I had at a broadcasting network. And I thought, okay, this is awesome. I'll now have control of my time and everything will be good, right? Except that I got so many offers for speaking engagements and workshops. And they started coming from even bigger and bigger clients, right? They were, and then they were from United Airlines and Apple Computers and Microsoft and Google. And and I would say, no, I can't do that. I don't have time. And they'd say, well, yeah, well, we'll up it to this amount of money. And I'm like, well, I can't turn down that. And then, of course, I've started to become my own corporation, right? So then I it was not just me that was turning down stuff. But if I turned that down, all the people who are making commission off me, I have three different agents and managers, then I'm turning it down on their behalf as well. And so there's there's this guilt involved. It just... The more money people offered me, and at this point, my fee is somewhere between thirty and thirty-five thousand dollars for a keynote, right? Like that's yeah. a lot of that's a lot of yeah. lettuce. Yeah. And when people offer that to you, and you say no, I don't have time, and then they say, well, what if we made it forty or forty-five? <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I just got. I was working harder than I ever had in a regular standard nine-to-five job. Because of the cult of efficiency and the fact that there's more, more money must equal more goodness. And you talk about this too. You thought that once you got to a place of financial stability, you paid off your student loans. I love that. The big yay. (laughs) Finally paid off my student loans. (laughs) (laughs) Things got good. Things got great. You did it before you were 95. So that's good. But, but you got everything paid off financially stable. Life is good. You thought this hustle would go away and it just kept getting worse. It it just kept getting worse. And I, you know, having struggled for money, I was a single parent and I work in nonprofit, right? I work for public radio. That's my day job. My actual job is an opera singer. Like clearly I'm not motivated by money, but I had all these dreams about what life would be like if I had enough money. I would travel and I would learn how to play guitar and I'd learn how to speak Portuguese. None of that was true. Like the more money I had, the more financially stable I I was, first of all, the more my business expanded. So that money also equaled more money, more problems, right? Like it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I was less happy. <laughs> I just, there was the added stress of the fact that everything I believed in for so long and hoped for for so long was empty. Like it wasn't- yeah. Real. You're climbing this mountain and it goes nowhere, goes absolutely nowhere. You get to the end of the rainbow and there's no pot of gold. I want to spend the last couple minutes ways that you've been addressing that problem. In January, I believe of 2019, you got on a train. Tell me where that train was going and tell me what happened. Yeah, I took a train all the way around the continental US and it took me about two weeks And, you know, look, it's a train. They don't follow highways. (laughs) So trains will go right through the middle of, you know, Glacier National Park where there's not a lot of Wi-Fi, right? There's not not some great internet. So I I knew going in that I was going to be passing for hours, if not full days, without having access to the internet. And I left D.C. I went down to Atlanta, across to Arizona, across there to Los Angeles, up to Seattle, across to Chicago, across to Boston, and then back down home wow. on the SLA. That is fantastic. I, I still miss it. Like, I'll hear a train. I'm not too far from the train tracks here in D.C., and I'll hear a train, and I long to get back on that train. Because it was. it took me a few days to get over the the panic that you feel like when you leave your house and you realize you don't have your phone and there's that jolt of panic. Right. So it took me a couple days to get over that. But then after that, it was just, I felt bored again for the first time in my life. I felt boredom, which is not a bad, that's a good place to be. It was wonderful. It was so good. It was like one of the best times of my life. I, I have to do it again thinking about maybe like setting it up so that every year I invite other people and everyone can come and take a two week train trip with Celeste. I'm in, I'm in because, (laughs) because you also talk then about the importance of slow travel, 
of slow walks, of getting out of, there are so many lessons in this book about doing nothing. The book is called Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and Underliving. The book is phenomenal and it's exactly what I need in my life right now. So Celeste, I'm so glad that you, that you, you wrote this because I felt like you were me. You were you were me. Yeah, I'm definitely speaking to you. It wasn't a book just for me. It was for us. <laughs> it was totally for us. I agree. Hey, uh, you have a newer book, and there have been lots of discussions, not just the past few years, but the last several years about race. You have a new book called Speaking of Race, Why Everybody Needs to Talk About Racism and How to Do It. I have 500 questions. Maybe that's the next time that you're here. But I want to ask you one which is by saying and how to do it, it infers that we're doing it wrong. Where are we getting it wrong when we talk about race? It's multi-layered. Number one, we're not doing it. <laughs> In other words, if you say something and somebody says, whoa, that sounded kind of racist, the conversation ends. <laughs> at, at Right at that moment when a real conversation could begin, we feel awkward, we feel embarrassed, we feel defensive, and we stop. That's the number one mistake that we make. And so you know, part of this book, it's using the best neuroscience, the best behavioral science we have at this point to tell you, look, it's not whether you make a mistake when it comes to talking about race. You will make a mistake. You will. You will. So let's prepare you for that. Let's prepare you not only to give that feedback to others, but to learn how to take that feedback for yourself and get away from the defensiveness and have the conversation anyway. Celeste, thanks so much for spending a couple of minutes with us of your valuable time. I appreciate it. And good luck with the opera singing. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate it. Hey, this is John in Seattle. And when I'm not telling terrible dad jokes to anyone who will listen, I'm stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to Celeste Headley for joining us. You know, OG, this idea that we can't be bored. I I'm with Celeste. Boredom. Boredom? might be the cure that we need to figure out that boredom we are... is a state of mind if you're bored that's your own fault yeah but i think you cannot be busy and not mm -hmm. be bored but i think you mm -hmm. have to go through the moat of being bored to learn that lesson yeah but i think it could also be generational right i mean when we were kids there wasn't any choice other than you know if you didn't want to play outside like your choices were sit on the porch <laughs> you know it wasn't like well then Joe and i had pong yeah, but I mean, I don't know. In my house, that wasn't really. I mean, we had a Nintendo, but it's not like we could sit there all day and play it. That would, that was not happening. So, so it's like I'm bored. If you said that, like I'm bored, my dad would be like, "Cool, yeah. Why don't you edge the garden? Yeah. Next thing you know, you're cleaning the garage. Learn not to say that phrase. Yeah, I'm not bored anymore. Yeah. I'm gonna go play basketball. But sitting there silently for an extended period of time by yourself is super powerful for just uh, mental health. You know, uh, you and I get coaching from this group called Strategic Coach, and I know in my group, and I, I think it's probably the same for you going through Strategic Coach, the hardest thing entrepreneurs have to learn, and I still struggle with this, is they try to teach you to do less. Oh, gee, like getting you to take days off is brutally hard, absolutely brutally hard. Yeah. And then whenever you do it, guess what? You have this big aha that more gets done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, focus on the things that are really super important and try not to do any of the unimportant things. For but sure. And also you find out that a lot of those super important things you're missing out because you're working too much, because a lot of the super important things do not have anything to do with the business, right? Do not have anything to do at all with that. And then you you end up with a, with a more well-rounded life. It's funny, I learned the same thing when we went to Disney with our kids. I got this really good guidebook called, believe it or not, Disney with kids. And the woman makes a great point there. <laughs> On brand. What, yeah, right. Right. What is this book about? I have no idea. There must be some subtext going on here. Uh, she makes a great point that the people that have a miserable time at Disney are people that try to get their money's worth by doing everything. She said, if you try to quote, get your money's worth, you will never get your money's worth. It will be a horrible experience because the place is huge. There's so much to do. And instead, she said to relax and do the thing you're doing now, which I think isn't about Disney. I think there's a bigger lesson there. Don't try to do everything. Just take the thing you're working on now and focus.
Hey, let's throw out Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Uh, no waiting line at the bathroom at Taco Bell? Flourless chocolate cake. Well, there's a couple of them. It's your loved ones in your time, which at Taco Bell with cake is fantastic. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. It's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com slash havenlife now to get a free quote. Their application is simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable. And of course, they're issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, more than 160-year-old insurer. And today we're going to throw out the lifeline to our new friend, Colton. Say hi, Colton. Hey, Joe and OG. Well, I'm in the fortunate situation where I'm selling my house. Somehow it's appreciated 33% over the past couple of years and I'm about to make out with about six figures, if not slightly more. Um, I'm about to buy a new house in the area that will be moving. And I'm wondering, in an environment like today where you have inflation and potential interest rates, conceptually, how would you propose the significant life change and the significant financial milestone? Would you recommend rolling all of the the money I made over into the new house so that I could save on, on mortgage costs or would you recommend, due to you know potentially higher inflation, putting a little down on the new house and using the money for other goals such as five twenty nine investment and savings, something that could potentially be inflation over the long term? Really interested in your thoughts on this. I think a lot of people are going through it, so I appreciate your time. Thanks. Thanks for that, Colton. Congratulations, by the way, on the thirty three percent gain over a eighty year time frame. A thirty three percent gain, OG, not great. So it really. Depends on how long that took, but sounds sounds lucrative. Uh, what do you think? Does he put more down on the house or does he take the money out and invest it? Well, this is the age-old question, right? I mean, I think when it comes to the house stuff, it's really about you as a person. If you look at it from a mathematical standpoint and say, hey, I can go get a 30-year mortgage at you know 3.5% or I think maybe even 4% now, interest rates have gone up quite a bit. Either way, I can get this house at a really low, uh, this mortgage at a low interest rate, and I can arbitrage the difference, then financially, mathematically, that makes more sense. But by the same token, I don't know too many financially independent people who are like, I'm so glad I still have my mortgage at 65, you know, and people aggressively try to pay it off as you get closer and closer to retirement. I think that the big win with interest rates being low, and they're still low, not as low as they were maybe a year ago, but... I think personally that the big win is taking the rate and the term. If you can knock out your house payment in 15 years and pay no interest to the bank, I just think that's such a great win. I know it's not easy to go back and get a mortgage, but in theory, you can always go get another mortgage if you really wanted one. Uh, For our financial goals, we decided that the best thing for us is to try to figure out the fastest way to pay the house off. So even though my interest rate's at 2.5%, I recognize you know it could be better to invest that money for us, I would much rather be completely debt-free. So this is going to be something that you just have to decide what's best for you and for your family based on, you know, kind of what you forecast the the future to be. But um, I don't know, it's pretty attractive to be able to walk into the into a new house, especially if you're quote-unquote upgrading a house and have a really strong equity position right out of the gate. Whoa, 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 whoa. Dude, all the mathanistas out there going... Math does not support what you're saying, OG. Math does not support it. You're putting money on an asset that has a very low interest rate and avoiding the one that over long periods of time, investing it, you know, interest rate arbitrage for the win. Well, and yeah, I mentioned that, but my argument is also would would then be take that to the other extreme. So if it doesn't make sense to, you know, I'm just making numbers. So Colton's got, let's say he's got 200 grand in cash and he's going to go buy a $400,000 house. So he's thinking, hey, do I put 200 grand down and have a mortgage of 200,000 or do I put 12 grand down and have a 97% mortgage? If you think 50 50 is not right, why do you not go and go get another mortgage on your own personal house up to the map? Everyone's house is appreciated this year, right? In the last 12 or 15 months, your house has gone up in value just about anywhere that you've lived. So why wouldn't you go to back to the bank and say, "Hey, you know, my house is worth 400,000, I only owe 300. Give me another 90 grand of equity out of it." And the reason is because you get too close to that 
that equity number. And if the housing market goes down a little bit, now you're upside down. You limit your choices when you eat up that equity right there, even if you put the money in the market and say, well, I can pay it off at any time. Again, I think it's uniquely personal. The math would support taking a loan and investing it, but it also supports taking a loan on your freaking 0% credit card and yeah, investing right. it too. Like why, why would you not do all of those things then if that's what you believe? I mean, some people do, right? Some people are like, yeah, that's what I do. That's fine. For us, for our family, you know, I can't wait to pay my house off and not have a house payment. Well, and, and Wes Moss's uh, new book, What Happy Retirees Know, supports exactly what you're saying. All the studies that they did that went into that book that wealthy people, OG, pay off their debt, which shows that it's not about, it's not about math. It's about behavior, right? I mean, it is, it is totally about behavior. And if you've got zero debt and you owe nothing to anybody, it frees you up to do all kinds of things. And so I think- For people that have never owed no one nothing, is that the right way to put all that together? No, definitely not the right way to say that. How would you say that? The people who be knowed- For people who have never owed anyone anything. Anyway, no one nothing, I think is better. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll go, go with that. that. Yeah, great school system where you grew up. No one anything. Anyone nothing. Anyone be nothing. Nailed it. Anyways- it's such a really weird scenario to be in because all you have to take care of is yourself. I mean, in your, you know, in your family, you're consumables, right? Like you, you need to put food on the table, heat and cool the house, make sure it's got water running. You know what I mean? Like it's a really, really, really low operating cost when you strip away all of the stuff that you bought a long time ago that you're still paying for now, cars and houses and sweaters and college tuitions and all that other sort of stuff. It's, it's really quite an interesting place to be. And um, from a stress standpoint and all that flexibility, I don't know. Can't wait to pay my house off. Yeah. And uh, I think if you can afford to be conservative and, and meet all your goals, it is just such a great, happy place to be. Hey, thanks to everybody who's uh, who's joined us today. We know your time is valuable and we're so happy that you chose to spend it with us. We have one or two things to say here at the end of the show, but man, do we have a lot going on in the basement. We're hitting the road again in early April, Boston, New York, Philadelphia, DC, Baltimore. We're coming to see you. And then Indy, Columbus, and Cleveland, you're right behind them. Stackingbenjamins.com slash stacked for all the tour dates and to make sure you get your ticket to sign up so we can tell the venue that you're coming. Last but not least, and actually way not least, you know what? Surround sound is good, and that's what we try to do here on the show, but it's much more, and I've talked about this on every tour stop. It is so much more about building a team of smart people around you, and if you need your team to be smarter so you can think bigger about your goals, OG and his team are taking clients, stackingbenjamins.com slash OG to get on his team's schedule and to talk about building a better team team for your tomorrow. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, worried about fees in your investments? Absolutely. But also worry about your performance, which, you know, kind of what wins the day, isn't it? Second, take some advice from Celeste Headley and challenge your assumptions that more is better. Sometimes doing nothing is the right solution. And slow yeah, that might just be the right way to move faster. But the big lesson? <sighs> I love this idea of doing nothing. In fact, I shared that idea with Joe's mom, and she said I could do nothing while I'm washing the windows. <laughs> it's like we're kindred spirits. Thanks to Celeste Headley for joining us today. Her book, Do Nothing, is available anywhere. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch, with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives, written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. 
Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So, say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. Both she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at The Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these dorks, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. Did we ever do a podcast called Grow With Us? Is it is it the Viagra podcast? Somebody just sent me an email and said, Hey, I really enjoyed your recent appearance on the Grow With Us podcast. I'm a big fan of your work with Stacking Benjamins. It was great to hear your thoughts on the topic. It sounds very generic. Yes. Yeah. That's a spam. And, and now they're pitching you on something new. Yeah. I got a great guest idea for you guys. Are you satisfied with your current lead generation process? Yeah. And black hole. <laughs> there you go. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.